morning, everybody. Uh, first, uh, before we get into the scriptures, I want to thank you all very much for your prayers. We definitely appreciate y'all's prayers uh, as we had a little bit of a scare uh, last weekend uh, where Noah, uh, number two in the, in the, the order of, uh, of the locks, uh, he had a, a little bit of a, of a, of a health issue. Um, we, he had a ronavirus, which is just, you know, a cold. Uh, that's the, the, the technical medical term for a cold. Yeah, rhinovirus. And, um, <laughs> and he, uh, unfortunately, these days, uh, uh, apparently, the rhinovirus has kind of, you know, taken on a life of its own, and, um, uh, which, you know, apparently is all the rage among viruses these days. Uh, and it caused some respiratory issues and so on. Noah's got an issue with, uh, with asthma. He's had asthma his whole life, and so uh, having something that irritates your respiratory system probably isn't the best thing for an asthmatic to have, and uh, long story short, he wound up in the ER, uh, and really the only reason that he was sent home was that, well, there were no beds for him. Uh, there were there was no room in the inn, and uh, and so he w- he had to go home. and And by God's grace, we we knew what we were doing, uh, and so on. We just needed uh, the medication in terms of steroids and things like that to uh, to to take care of him. He just needed bigger guns, um, and so in God's grace, uh, we uh, were able to get that, and we were able to help him. And his uh, oxygen levels were were getting back to normal, and. We knew that everything was good when, uh, when we found him off the couch in his bed, uh, or in his bedroom, uh, playing video games. And, uh, and that's when we knew he was fine. So we went right back to our regularly scheduled program of telling him to get off his butt and go and do something with his life. And so we're really grateful uh, that he's feeling better. Everything is normal in the lockhouse again, and, uh, and we're grateful for that. But thank you all so much for your prayers. Um, it's been a while <laughs> since we've uh, had to go to the ER, and it's, it's been a while since uh, we've had any kind of flare-ups like this, and so uh, it kind of took us back a bit, a couple years, and, uh, but we're grateful that God uh, heard your prayers, that he heard our prayers, uh, he healed our boy, and, uh, and, and everything, at least for now, seems to be going well. Uh, but just a little reminder for all of you, remember, as we've been reading in Romans and, and as we've been uh, studying together as, as, um, as, a, as a church family, uh, that we are family. Uh, so I just want to give a shout out to uh, those who, who came and, and helped us, uh, folks who, who provided meals, folks who, uh, who, who called to say they were praying for us or sent a card in the mail. All of y'all, thank you so much for, for your kindness, and uh, thank you for reminding us uh, that our Lord does hear us, and one of the most tangible ways that he shows his love to us right here, right now, in this space and in this time is through each other, uh, through our church family. Uh, you are, I know it's, it's kind of trite for us evangelicals, you are the hands and feet of Jesus, but don't, but don't take that lightly. God, in his great mercy, chooses to use you to show his love and his affection on his people. And, uh, and so take that as an honor and take every opportunity that you can 
uh, to tell, uh, uh, to show the love of Christ uh, to one another. So thank you all so much for that. Uh, I believe that God is indeed uh, cultivating a gospel culture among us, as we've been talking about over the last several months. And one of the ways, in fact, maybe even the way uh, that gospel culture is, is uh, cultivated among us is when we love as Jesus has loved us. Uh, you see that all throughout the scriptures, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Uh, that is the mark of a follower of Yahweh. That is the mark of a child of the living God, is that you love as he loves. And so my prayer is that God will continue to cultivate that among us. So thank you all so much for how you showed the love of Christ uh, to us as a Locke family we're very, very, very grateful. So uh, if you would, turn your Bibles to Romans 14. Romans 14 is where we are this morning. Romans 14. And those of you who uh, have been um, good enough to look at the back of the book, the book of Romans, you realize that the last chapter is chapter 16. So we're just about done in our study through the book of Romans. I don't know who's woo Was that my wife woo-hooing? Was that, was that a woo-hoo of celebration? Yay, God is so good. Or is it finally we're done with, I don't know which one it is. It's, it's, it's okay, okay, cool. <laughs> but no, we're so happy. You know, we've, we've walked our way through. This is a long argument that Paul is making. He's making a case, and it takes a, a bit to, to keep track, you know, with his train of thought. Uh, and even here, what we see in Romans 14 is, is just as connected to all that Paul has been saying throughout as well. So, so I hope that y'all are able to, to hold on and keep, keep the idea of what Paul is developing here through the letter, uh, because it is a fascinating message, fascinating message that he's given us. And I hope that you've been blessed by that. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, Romans 14, beginning of verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Say that a little louder for the, for the, for the, the Baptists in the back. Not, not to quarrel over opinions. There we go. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the living and of the dead. Oh, I said it backwards, of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written in the book of Isaiah, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Well, Paul uh, wrote in Philippians 2 that Annie read uh, earlier today in Philippians 2. Every tongue will confess, or every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He actually got that from the book of Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah there and applying it to Christ. It's fascinating here. And here he quotes that same passage in Isaiah. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So let's pray that God would give us wisdom and insight as we seek to understand his word. That we may not just hear, but that we may also heed his word. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Um, you have brought us together, sons and daughters of the living God, brothers and sisters, together as family. And, and though, Lord, you have called for unity, we realize, Lord, that there is not uniformity among us. We're different. One is not like the other. And yet, Lord, by your grace, we're family. So, for, Lord, for your glory, I pray that you would teach us how to live with these differences. How to love one another well. How to show the world that you are our God. And you are the glue that holds us together. Lord, I pray that you would guard us from the evil one. Who seeks to do everything in his power to twist and mangle our unity. If not break it all together. Lord, I pray that we would be united over the right things. That we would be united in the right way. And that we would have the liberty and the grace to love one another across these differences. And we thank you for that. Lord, our world doesn't get it. And maybe there are some that are here today that do not know Christ as their Savior. And they don't get it. They want this kind of unity. And they've looked so many different ways. And the last place that they would ever consider to find such unity is in the church. Lord, I say this to our shame. Forgive us for not loving well. But Lord, I pray that today, this day, under the hearing of your word, that Lord, you would draw many, many more to Christ. And they would find in him the love that bonds us together. May there be the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace among us. We thank you 
We ask big things because you're a big God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So magnify your name in the way that we love one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 25 years ago, I may have to stop there for a moment when I realized that 25 years ago was 1997. 25 years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention made a public decision. They decided as a convention that they were going to boycott Disney. How many of you all remember that? Oh, yeah. The great Disney boycott. You see, Disney was was getting involved in all kinds of different things that were questionable to uh, Christians, and in specific, uh, specifically here, the Southern Baptists. Uh, for instance, the movie studio Miramax, which was owned by Disney, uh, released the movie that has now become a, a classic uh, Tarantino movie, Pulp Fiction. And they said, what in the world has happened to Disney? What happened to family values? What happened to, you know, to, to, to uh, entertainment that was suitable for children? What, what is this? A rated R movie with John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson and, and all that. What is going on here? The Disney-owned ABC network, ABC channel, uh, had a TV show called Ellen uh, with a then uh, up-and-coming comedian, Ellen DeGeneres. And the show was really only known for one episode. It didn't really last that long, but there was one episode that that pretty much sent, uh, sent shockwaves throughout pop culture, and that was when Ellen DeGeneres, her character... And not just her character, but, her, but she in real life, through her character, came out on, on network television. And that was the shot heard around the world, that there would be a lesbian that would publicly announce on television uh, her sexual preferences. That was on the Disney-owned ABC. They were also upset over uh, Walt Disney World and Disneyland uh, officially announcing that on one day every year they would have what they called Gay Day. That was a day where they would have a, a, a parade and a celebration and so on. It's amazing, by the way, that we hear these things 20, about what was going on 25 years ago and you just sit back and go, boy, I never thought that those would be the good old days. Um, you know, when we just stop to think about what life was like 25 years ago. Well, the Southern Baptist Convention took a stand and they said, we as a convention of believers, we are no longer going to tolerate this, this, this downward slide, this downward spiral of Walt Disney and the Disney company and all that. And so we are going to have a boycott, which apparently meant we are no longer going to watch Disney stuff. We're not going to go to Disney movies. We're not going to go to Disneyland, Disney World, or anything like that. We, we're done with Disney. Now, in case you're wondering how things went, last year, uh, or I'm sorry, this past summer, uh, we had our annual meeting in Anaheim, um, and we had discount tickets uh, to Disneyland. So the boycott didn't last very long. 
<laughs> it really wasn't that successful at all. And anybody who's wondering, uh, Disney did not fold. Um, uh, D- Disney's still here, and, and in fact, they're making way more money than they were 25 years ago. Uh, it, it, but, that, but that was a big deal. And it's an example of something that happens a lot in the church, something that happens a lot among Christians. I'm not going to speak to the, the wisdom of the boycott, if it was smart, if it, if it was effective at all. Uh, well, I can talk about that. No, it wasn't. It did nothing. Um, but but, but, but uh, it's one of these things where we see things that are going on in the culture, and as we look at it, we say, I don't know if I, as a Christian, can be involved in all of that, if I can participate in those types of things. That's perfectly fine. If you have those convictions, that's okay. But what also happens for us as Christians, and especially as Baptists, is we go a step further. And we say, and I don't think that any reasonable Christian should be doing that either. So now all of a sudden, my personal convictions have become the lens through which I see everyone else and their convictions. So now if there's anybody that participates with Disney or so on, then I just don't know how you can call yourself a Christian. Does anybody know anything about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Think about uh, a company like Starbucks. And by the way, they are not the only one. But we'll use them for sake of illustration. Starbucks, which has famously been a proponent of uh, the LGBTQ uh, movement and, 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 and so forth. They give millions and millions of dollars in supporting causes to that end. Think about even a company like Walmart. <gasps> Don't mess with the folks from Arkansas. No, no, no. We got to talk about them because Walmart has consistently been in the top five companies in America when it comes to LGBTQ supporting, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 the top LGBTQ supporting companies in our country. Walmart has constantly been up there. Apple, the same way, Samsung, and all of these others. So should we not have, should we not drink coffee from Starbucks? I know I'm saying this and I'm stepping on toes in pumpkin spice season. Uh, but but should, we, should we not have, uh, uh, you know, should we not get a, a PSL from Starbucks? Should we, should we not have iPhones? Should we not have Androids? Should we not? What do we do? And by the way, that's just for now. Let's go back into history and let's talk about some things. Remember when it was controversial for women to wear pants in church? Remember the days when it was even controversial, let's go even further back, for women not to have head coverings? Yeah, and because if you don't have a head covering, then you are an insubordinate woman and you need to repent. You know, and all, that's, how, that's what, what churches would say. Uh, or what about music? I mean, my goodness, I'm over here all amped up and everything. You do realize that that music is that evil devil rock music that you're bringing into the church. How many of y'all remember those days? It wasn't that long ago when people would talk in that way. When people would talk, I remember I grew up in a, in a Christian school that definitely was more on the fundamentalist side. And, and they would talk. I remember reading it in my, in my textbooks and so on, that the drum beats of, of, of rock music came from the pagan jungles of Africa. Yeah, they would say those types of things. And, and we would just sit back and we're like, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know that much about music, but you go into Latin America and you go into South America, you go into Asia and all that. It seems like everybody's got drones but y'all. Um, <laughs> it's just amazing. Um, y'all are the only ones. Uh, Middle East, everybody, they're all jamming, except for, you know, the Renaissance folks. But, you know, uh, but, but that's how it was. And so if you have those convictions, it's one thing for you to have those convictions and say, I just don't believe if, uh, that, 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 that I can do that in good faith. Okay, okay. But what happens is we take those convictions and we impose those convictions on everybody else to the point that we say, nobody, no good Christian can, can uh, participate in these things and still call themselves a Christian. And Paul brings this up here in Romans 14. Because this was going on in their day, too. By the way, that, that is a little bit encouraging and a little bit discouraging. It's encouraging because that tells us we're not crazy. It's discouraging when you go, that was 2,000 years ago. We've been dealing with this for 2,000 years? Yeah, we've been dealing with this for 2,000 years because we're human. You know the adage, birds of a feather, what? Flock together. But, the, but what God is doing in the gospel and what he's doing in the church goes in the exact opposite direction as that proverb. He is not trying to set up birds of the same feather. <laughs> he is building a community of people with a whole lot of different feathers. And he is showing in the world that we of different feathers can actually flock together because we are following the, the one who is our unity and our peace and our bond. The one who holds us all together, namely the Lord Jesus himself. That's good news. But that cuts against our culture. It cuts even against our human nature. But that's what he's saying here. How do we as Christians live with different convictions? How do we as Christians live with different convictions? Well, first things first, we got to recognize that, well, when we come together, we do come together with different convictions. We come together with different convictions. And it was the same as it was uh, here with the Romans. Look at verse 2 in Romans 14. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. You say, what, what's going on here? Well, this wasn't a dietary thing, it wasn't, or, or it wasn't a hygienic thing. It wasn't that, that they were going, well, I'm vegan, and, 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 and it's because I'm, you know, uh, I, I've got a, a, an allergy to meat proteins, you know, or something like that, or, or I, you know, I'm, I'm gluten-free, you know, or anything like that. That's not what, what's going on. What's going on here is they have different convictions about food. You see, you had some who were coming out of uh, uh, pagan, idolatrous uh, religions, and as they were coming out of that, uh, they were now trying to figure out how do we live as Christians? And they were coming into communion with those who were coming from Jewish backgrounds. And so you had those who grew up eating meats and so on that were sacrificed to idols. They'd go in with a bull. They'd slaughter the bull in the name of Diana, uh, the, Ro the Roman goddess, and, and, or, or any of the other Roman gods. They would, they would slaughter the bull, and then they would take the cuts of meat from there, and they would eat 
that meat. And so they would get the porterhouse, they'd get the T-bone, they'd get all of the meat, and they would be fine. You know, as they're, uh, as they're eating the meat that had been offered up to the pagan gods. Well, now they come to faith in Jesus, and even though it's been totally normal for them to eat the, that meat, now all of a sudden they're going, I don't know if I should eat that. Because that meat is associated with this pagan idolatrous practice. You see what's going on? Then you also have Jews who have been told their whole lives from uh, uh, texts like the book of Leviticus that if they eat from that kind of meat and everything, they would be considered ceremonially, ritually unclean. Because that meat has been defiled and so on. And so you've got these groups in the church that are going, I don't know if we should eat this kind of stuff because we, we don't know what to do with it. Much like, for instance, your pumpkin spice latte. I don't know if I should drink this because by buying this pumpkin spice latte, am I contributing to this movement and this worldview that is, that is very anti-God and anti-Christianity and all of that? Maybe I should just make my own coffee. Maybe I should grow my own beans or whatever. I don't, I don't know what to do in this situation. Some of y'all have felt that, haven't you? You see the paganism of our world and you go, I, I don't know what to do because it seems like everything is connected to this worldview, this, this, this pagan ideology, whatever it may be. And you say, I don't know how to participate in all of this. I don't know if I should go and get clothes from, from the store and all of that. I don't know if I should go get my, my favorite NBA team jersey. You know, I don't know if I should. What do I do in this scenario when I realize that this money is contributing to the very world that the Lord has pulled me out of? You see what's going on? So they're going, I don't know what to do. But then you also have a group of Christians that are going, it's just me. <laughs> right? I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not praying to the, the pagan gods when I eat this. I'm saying God is great and God is good, and we thank him for our food. Amen. And I, and I, don't, I don't need, you know, I, I'm not thinking about them. It's not in worship to them or anything like that. I'm eating a bowl that God created, the one true living God, and I'm taking that meat, and I'm enjoying it to the glory of King Jesus past the brisket, right? And, and that's, that's how it was. So there's a conflict here in the church. There's a conflict. There is a difference of conviction. Notice it's not only that, but notice they had convictions over the calendar too. Look at verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Ooh, are we going to go there? When should we worship God? Well, every day is a day to worship God. Well, Sunday is a day to worship God. Well, does that mean that we shouldn't have a Saturday service? There are some churches that meet on Saturdays. And they say, well, we're going to have a Saturday evening service or whatever, because that's the best time for our little church plant to gather together and all. No, you need to worship on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. But we can't. <laughs> like the, the building's occupied on Sunday. The only day that we can gather is on Saturday. And you have this conflict. Not only that, but you had conflicts over holidays too, or holy 
days. So what days are considered holy days? What days are not considered holy days? Uh, you, know, you have Christians who celebrate uh, uh, and worship God through the Christian calendar. So they observe Lent, they observe Easter, they observe Pentecost, they observe uh, Epiphany, they observe Advent, they observe Christmas, all of the different high Christian calendar uh, seasons. They, they enjoy all of those. And then you've got us, you know, low, low uh, uh, church folks who are like, what's Epiphany? You know, <laughs> we're like, we have no idea what it is. And, and, and that's fine. But, but there's a conflict. I don't know how any Christian, any reasonable Christian wouldn't observe the Christian calendar. And we go, but every day is holy. Every day is special. Every day, like you may even hear people say on Easter, we worship the Lord on Resurrection Sunday. And then you hear others that go, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. He's still risen. The grave is still empty. Jesus is still alive. Amen. And so what do you do? Do we worship on Sunday? Do we worship on this day? Do we observe this holiday? Do we observe that holiday? You've got whole denominations like Seventh-day Adventists that would say, no, the day you're supposed to worship the Lord is on Saturday, the seventh day. That's the day that you're supposed to worship the Lord. And we don't do holidays, uh, Seventh-day Adventists would say. There's no such thing as holidays. All that's pagan. We, we worship God every day and so on, and we gather together on Saturdays and so on. What do you do? There's a difference of conviction. You see, they had the same stuff over there. Now, let me qualify what I mean when we say convictions. We've got to qualify this. By convictions, we don't mean uh, sin. We're not talking about sin. So, if you notice in uh, chapter 13, right before, in verse 13, how Paul says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Those are non-negotiables. You can't say, well, I just have a difference of conviction. No, you're a sinner. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that, okay? When we're talking about uh, categories of sin and righteousness, obedience to the Lord and to his commands and so on, not an option. There isn't any wiggle room with that. Do as the Lord commanded you, okay? When we talk wisdom, like you find in the book of Proverbs, wisdom and folly and so on, again, these are non-negotiables. It's wise for you to go in this direction. It's foolish for you to go in that direction. There's not really that much wiggle room when it comes to, the, uh, to those things. A little bit more wiggle room than we talk about commands. Wisdom, it depends on the situation that you're in, but still, there are choices that you make that are wise. There are choices that you make that are foolish. It's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here are those decisions that you make that really are dealing with conscience. These are matters of conscience. Can you, if I can say it this way, can you in good faith do this? Can you in good faith not do that? Why do I say that? Well, because in verse 5 here in, uh, in Romans 14, he says this right at the end. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's what he's talking about here. This is a matter of conscience. Can I be fully convinced in my mind that this is what God wants me to do? And if you can't say yes to that, then no, you shouldn't do it. Again, though, someone else may say, yeah, I can do that. And fully convinced in their minds, yeah, I can do that. I don't have a problem with that. 
You may have a problem with that. She may not have a problem with that. See? And so there's a difference of conviction here. Every, all of us gathering together, we gather together with different convictions. Okay? But here's the second point. Our convictions can indicate the strength of our faith. Our convictions can indicate the strength of our faith. Listen to his language here. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, look what he says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Look at verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. You see that there? While the weak eats only vegetables. Skip down a little bit to uh, chapter 15. And look at verse 15. He says, we, uh, verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So he keeps using this language of weakness. What does he mean when he says weak and what does he mean when he says strong? What does it mean to be weak in faith? I think what he means by that is this. That we have certain convictions where we say, I can't in good faith do X, okay? And there, it may be that that thing that you're doing is totally harmless. It's not evil, it's not sinful, doesn't violate any of the Lord's commands or anything like that, but I struggle to do that, whether it be because of my past, whether it be because of my culture, whether it be because of any of these different things. I personally struggle to do those kinds of things. And Paul says that is a a sign, not that you have a strong conviction and a strong faith, but rather that you have a weak faith. It's a very interesting thing. Because we tend to look at folks, and we we, we call them the super-Christians, right? The ones who are like, you know, they, they just kind of abstain from everything in life. And, you know, they, if they if, you know, give them the option, they would be up in a tower somewhere in the mountains, you know, just living a life, the life of a monk or a life of a nun or something like that. And we say, well, those are the super spiritual ones. But it seems like Paul is saying, no, those are the ones who are weaker in their faith. They're weaker in their faith because they don't experience the freedom and the joy of, of, of enjoying and, and, and um, celebrating and, uh, and tasting and seeing, if you will, all of the goodness of our Lord in the creation. All the goodness that God has given us. And so that because of that, they go, well, there are certain things in our creation, uh, not talking, again, sin, not talking wisdom, folly, or anything like that. We're talking about these certain things that exist in creation that we just in our minds go... I just think that's wrong. I just think that's bad. And I can't do that because I can't get around that category of bad. It's not biblically bad, but in my heart and in my mind, it's bad to me. You see what's going on? And he's, Paul is saying that is a sign of our weakness. It's that we in our faith haven't uh, developed, if you will, the strength to enjoy all that God has said you're free to enjoy. And so we've got a difference of convictions here. And so notice our convictions can indicate the strength of our faith. Now what Paul says here about that is actually very helpful and countercultural. Because you would go, what would you do? If you're in this situation, let's go back to the, to the Disney 
um, example. Let's go back to that. Let's say somebody comes over to your house, and they bring their kids and all of that. They come over to the house, and you go, man, you know, uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to entertain uh, this family that just came over? I, I got an idea. I got an idea. Let's, let's watch a movie together, right? And so you pull up Disney Plus and all of that, and all of a sudden, they look and just double, double, toil and trouble. You know, they're just, they're just looking and going, I can't believe that you would turn on. To, how do you have a subscription to Disney Plus? Don't you know all the evil stuff that's there? Don't you know what they're associated with and all these different things? And you have an option here. What do you do in that situation? Now, we would, I think, naturally, uh, and you see this very much in, in, our, in our Christian subcultures and so on, we would say, well, why are you being so judgmental? Right? Why are you being so judgmental? I, I, I am free to do whatever I want to do. Why do you got to be so legalistic? You know, I'm going to enjoy my Christian freedom, and if you don't like it, well, then you can see the door right over there. Isn't that how we are as Christians? We like this music, and if you don't like this music, then you can find another church. We like dressing the way we dress and all. If you don't like that, you can find another church. We like this. We like that. You know, whatever we put in there. And if you don't like that, then you can go somewhere else. And that's exactly how Christians have lived for thousands of years. It's part of the reason that we have so many denominations. Not all denominations are because of doctrine. A lot of denominations exist because we just, we just don't like people that disagree with us. <laughs> and so we just make our own little thing. We're like, fine, I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to go over there. But notice how Paul talks here. Paul says in verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Did you hear that? And look at verse 3. He says at the end of verse 3, God has welcomed him. So we must welcome those with stricter, as Paul would say, weaker convictions. We welcome them. See? We don't, we don't isolate them. We don't silo them off or, or whatever and say, well, we're going to be over here and we can enjoy our freedom, you know, and all of that. And we don't want to be around, you know, the frozen chosen over there. No, that's not how Paul talks. Notice he says, God has welcomed them. Think about this. <laughs> this is amazing in the plan and purposes of our God. God actually wants them in his family. Hey, did you check that? God wants the ones who have a, a little bit more sensitive, a, a little bit more sensitivity to the things of the world and so on. God actually wants them in his family. He's adopted them as a son. He's adopted them as a daughter. They are your brothers and sisters, whether you like it or not. And, and vice versa, for those of us who may have a, a broader sense and are able to enjoy uh, some things that others may not be able to enjoy in good faith and so on, guess what? You are a part of that family too. He has brought all of us together as sons and daughters. He has saved all of us with the very blood of his son. He has purchased our redemption and he has made us all a family. And so how do we live together? Well, we welcome one another. We welcome one another. You're here, your family. I know Olive Garden used to say that and everything. They got it from us. It's purely plagiarism. Uh, when you're here, your family. 
there may be some folks that are like, well, I, I just don't like, you know, again, going back to old, old uh, you know, kind of the old days, I, I just don't like, you know, certain styles of music, and I don't think that certain styles of music should be in the church. Welcome. Welcome. You're welcome here. Yeah. We, we could have a hymn sing or something like that, you know, and I know there's some of you going, you are speaking my language right now. Oh my goodness, where have you been? Yeah, that's great. I, we love hymns. We love all that. We love newer songs. We, we don't think that there should be any type of date on what God has, uh, what God, what kind of songs and music God loves and what he doesn't love. Check it out. If you go over to Paraguay or something like that, they're not singing Chris Tomlin over there. They're not, you know. They're, they're having a great old time and they're worshiping the Lord and so on. And they're welcome, you see. We welcome folks who have different convictions than ours. Notice how we do that. Well, first off, we got to do so without arguing. Verse 1, he says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. They're not here to be your whipping boy, okay? They're not here for you to spar over, all right? That's, that's not what this is about. Welcome them as family, see? Now you go, well, in my family, we wrestle, <laughs> Or, North Carolina, well, in my family, we wrestle. Um, <laughs> whatever it may be. Uh, that's, that's, that's cool and all. But in God's family, he wants you to love one another. Love one another. See? We don't do so with arguing and all that, nor do we do so with condemning. Look at verse 3. Let, the one who, uh, uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Don't, don't look down on them. That's, that's not your place. It's not what we do here. Nor let the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Again, why? For God has welcomed him. If God saw fit to have them in his family, if God saw fit to have them at his table, then whether they eat vegetables or whether they eat meat, whether they sip a pumpkin spice latte or whether they just drink water, whether they uh, watch Disney or whether they, I, I don't actually don't know what else you do with your life, but what, what, whatever the other thing is that you do. Disney owns like the planet. All of our entertainment is owned by Disney. Um, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever it may be, notice God has brought this family together. And who are you then to look down on a brother or a sister? He goes on to say that. Uh, you notice in there, he says, Excuse me. Uh, he says in uh, verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your what? Brother. Or you, why do you despise your what? Brother. You see that? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Notice that pass judgment there. If you're an underliner, that's a good uh, thing to underline in verse 3. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who, has, uh, who eats, for God has welcomed him. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Look at verse 13. Let, therefore, let us not pass judgment on another any longer. You, you're noticing a, a, a bit of repetition here, passing judgment. Look at verse 22. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, you see? And so you have this idea of passing judgment. We don't condemn. We welcome without condemning the other. Why? Well, there are two reasons for that. 
In verses 3 through 9, I think the reason that he says we, we do so without condemning is because we are not the Lord. Jesus is. We are not the Lord. Jesus is. Look what he says. Verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Notice the servant of another. If you're a servant, then that means you have a master. See? Who's the master? It ain't you. You're not the master. You're not the boss. You're not the Lord. Look what he says. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Notice, you've got these convictions. Maybe you draw the line a little bit narrower. Maybe you you bring it out a little bit more broadly and so on. Here's the thing. God is the one who is making that person stand. God is the one sustaining that person's life. You go, I just don't even know how you can live. I don't even know how you're here. I don't even know how you're still going on and all that. Here's how they're still going on. God is holding their every day. That's, that's why they're still here. They're still here because God wants them here. They're still alive because God wants them alive. He is their master. You see what's going on? And not only that, but notice, he is not only the reason that they live, but he's also the one who is holding their every day. Notice it says in verse, um, uh, in, 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 uh, verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. They're doing everything for him in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. By the way, just a little side note here. When we talk about personal convictions, we're not just talking about the things that you feel like doing and the things you don't feel like doing. That's not what's being talked about here. What he's talking about here are the things that you in good faith can do for the Lord and the things that you cannot in good faith do for the Lord. Your conscience is tied, is bound as a believer to the Lord. And so you go, I want to do everything that will please him. And I just don't know in good faith if I can do this and be pleasing to him. Or you say, I do feel like I can do this and be pleasing to him. That's what he's saying here. Whether you live or whether you die, you're the Lord's. You belong to him. He is the master of your life. And he says, how do I know that? Verse 9, for to this end Christ died and live again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. You see what's going on here? My life is his. And in my convictions, I want to live for his pleasure and for his glory. And I just don't know how I can do it that way. Or I do know how I can do it that way. And we clash in our understanding of that. But you are not the one who determines where the line is. God does. God does. I think one of the great reasons that the Lord has allowed us to have different convictions is just so that we would be reminded that we aren't God. (laughs) We aren't the ones who draw the lines. We aren't the ones who set the standard. He is. And there are folks who may disagree with you. When it comes to these different types of convictional matters, there are people who disagree. And that's okay. Because ultimately, you are not their Lord. He is. See? Well, not only are you not Lord, but you're not the judge either. (laughs) 
Why, why shouldn't we pass judgment on them? Well, because you're not the judge. Look what he says, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord. Again, quoting Isaiah. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. See? You are not the judge. You, like your brother, like your sister, will one day stand before the one and only judge. And you will have to give an account for your convictions, just as he or she will have to give an account for their convictions as well. We all are in the same boat. And so when you pass judgment, you are lying, if you will, about your position. And you are saying, I am the standard of what is right and wrong, and I am the one, therefore, who can judge and say what you're doing is right and what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is you are taking the Lord off of the judgment seat, and you're putting yourself on the judgment seat, and you're saying, I am the one that you have to answer to. And that's not true. The Lord is the one whom all of us must give an account before. And so we, what do we do and, and, uh, instead? Well, what we do is we welcome. We welcome one another. Okay, so you've got differences and, and so on. All right, we'll figure out how to navigate all of that. In fact, the, the, the rest of the chapter is tell, will tell us how we're going to navigate all of that. Um, but first and foremost, we've got to remember who we are. We're family. We're family. We're family. And just as I'm sure you have some folks who show up at the family reunion, when you see them pull in and you go, okay, well, this is going to be different. <laughs> let's, let's figure this one out and so on. And you rearrange and you do everything you can. Why? Because we're family. What's not an option is you leaving. We want you to be here. We want you to have a seat at the table. We want you to know that you are loved. We want you to know that you're cared for and so on because we're family, you see. In the same way that it is for us with one another, we may disagree. It's okay for us to disagree. But one thing that we must not disagree on is who is the Lord of all of our lives and who is the judge to whom we must all give an account. We must not disagree on who our Father is. And those things trump anything that we may have as, as disagreements uh, in terms of our convictions and so on with one another. In just a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. How appropriate that after a passage like this, we would gather together at the table. And we would celebrate once again that the Lord has made us one. That the Lord has made us family. But I want you to stop and think. Before we, before we partake of the Lord's Supper together, I, I just want you to stop and think before the Lord. Is there a brother? Is there a sister? Perhaps among us this morning? Maybe not among us this morning. And because of their convictions, because of our differences of conviction, I've treated them as less than. 
I've treated that brother, I've treated that sister, not as a full brother or a full sister in Christ. Not because they've denied the gospel, but because they've denied my convictions. Because they don't tow the lines that I have drawn for my own life. And therefore there's been friction with us. We're not getting along. Before we partake of the table, it may be good for you to go before the Lord and seek his forgiveness. And how about this? Today. Today. Why don't you go to that brother or go to that sister and seek their forgiveness? Because in Christ, they are a full brother and a full sister. Maybe you have had convictions uh, and so on, and, and uh, you know, you've used that to hold uh, as kind of a, 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 a burden over other people or so on. Maybe, maybe you're just the argumentative type, like what Paul is talking about here in verse 1. Maybe you're the argumentative type, and you just go, ah, you know, I, just, I just like disagreeing with people. You know, it's fun. It's entertaining. I live for debate. I live for argumentation and, and, and being argumentative and, 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 and all these different things. Well, it seems as if the text here is saying, cool it. Cool it. You are in the family of God. And as family, we treat one another as brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean that we don't disagree. It doesn't mean that we can't have great conversations about why we believe what we believe and so on. There's room for that. But there's not room for despising one another. And when you feel in your heart that, that, that we're moving beyond just a friendly conversation to, you know, fisticuffs you know, or something like that, you've crossed the line. We're family. Love your brother. Love your sister. Let's pray and let's go to the Lord and ask for his help. That we who have different convictions would continue to love one another. And that the very table that we are going to fellowship around in just a few minutes would be a marker to us that we are family. And at the Lord's table we are one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we've talked about, whom, whom we've proclaimed even here. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. We affirm this. We believe this. This is why we gather together. This is why we are family it's because Christ is our Lord and you, O oh God, are our Father. But Lord, we come together from different cultures and different convictions and, and we don't draw our lines exactly the same way. And that's been cause for division among many, many Christians across the centuries. And it wouldn't be a shock if that has even caused division among us over the last several years of our gathering together. 
And Father, I ask that you would have mercy on us, that you would forgive us for putting our convictions over family. You're teaching us in here that in Christ Jesus, family takes priority. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in us, that we would love one another as the family that we are. And Lord, you have established your table uh, to be a symbol, a sign for all of us that we are family. We eat together. We drink together for the glory of Jesus Christ as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So Father, I pray even now in our silence, we come before you in prayer, Lord, that you would that you would hear our cry. That we would love as Jesus has loved us. That we would be committed to loving even those who are different from us. And we ask your forgiveness where we have fallen short. Let's go to the Lord.